Um, so with that aside, let's dig into the next section of this series. So I started this last week off of Philippians chapter 3 about the one thing that Paul said he did. And um, it's off this verse. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I told you last week, I'm very encouraged by that, that Paul didn't think he'd arrived. But one thing, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And so last week we talked about what do we forget? We forget past mistakes and sins. We receive the forgiveness of God, and we give forgiveness so that we don't drink toxic sludge of bitterness and resentment in our lives. So we forget things. We don't forget people. We don't forget God's blessings. We don't forget lessons learned, but there are things we leave in the past. And uh, I got an email this week from Kara Rank, and she wrote this last Sunday as a response to what we talked about, and I asked if I could share it with you, and she said yes, so I want, I want to read this. A soul at the doorway, forgetting what lies behind, reaching to what lies ahead, stepping beyond the veil, stepping into splendor, seemingly a retreat, but suddenly release to the kingdom, a home laid hold of by the Christ, being rich in mercy, alive together in glory, steeping in eternity, under the wing, the mighty, the risen, the king. Streets paved by redemption, walls built of freedom, faithfulness as the sun, joyful breath. Our burden is belonging, death only a doorway, a soul is whole. I thought that was awesome and wanted to share it with you. So that's a great summary of what we were talking about last week. Well, this morning we're going to talk about what lies ahead. So Paul, in saying I do this one thing, talks about forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. So that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Would you pray with me? Just ask the Lord to show you something from his word, and then um, I'll pray for us. Lord, you have said to us that it hasn't even entered into our hearts in minds what you have in store for us. But there are glimpses in the scriptures. And so Lord, as we talk about what's ahead, Father, I pray that you would help us get enough of a glimpse that we would be motivated in the same way that Paul was. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So that passage where Paul says, reaching forward to what lies ahead was obviously motivating for him. And when you start talking about the future in Christian circles, there are lots of different answers to that. There are God-loving, Jesus-honoring people who look at the same passages and come to different conclusions. So I want to share with you some passages that we all have to look at and say, yes, this is ahead. Um, there are Christians who disagree on this and still you know, are orthodox. So I'll give you my take on some of them. But at the same point, they should be motivating. My desire is to give you a reason to have the same passion that Paul did. It was funny because this morning 
um, I wanted to use a map as a model, and I went to look for a map in my car, and I don't have any. You know, we don't use paper maps anymore. We don't, you know, we go to our phones or the GPS or something. And uh, it's important to think about what's ahead. Uh, Kathy and I obviously have been thinking about retirement, and so where do we go? The Fount of All Wisdom, YouTube, and watch videos on YouTube. And you get this impression from some of these that the goal of life is retirement. Like, you work hard and save so you can vacation and party, you know, at the end of your life. Like, that's the whole point of life. And no, it's not. So what I want to show you is just some things to, I hope, give you a better picture of who you are, what's ahead, so you can live accordingly. So the first question is, is death. Like the scriptures tell us that everybody is appointed unto man wants to die. I know that does not sound like an encouraging thought, but look at the way Paul talks about it. He says, therefore, always being of good courage. When you think about death, you should not be afraid. It should not strike terror into your heart. You can look at it and be of good courage, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Obviously, we're not absent from his presence. We know God's omnipresent. We're not talking about that. But we're absent his presence in the same way that the disciples were present with Jesus on earth. Like, we don't see him. We walk by faith, not by sight. We are of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. So if Jesus doesn't come back in our lifetime, this is what we can expect. And it is not something we need fear because although the body will be here, we will be with Jesus. Some of you know Liz Nelson and when she was in the last stages um, of fighting cancer, they reached a point where they knew that there wasn't anything more they could do. And I had a conversation with her in the hospital and um, everybody had left the room and it was just Liz and I. And she, she looked at me with this smile and she said, is it okay for me now to think about Jesus? Because he had given her a vision, enough of a sense where she wasn't fearing it but she was wanting to fight, you know, she was wanting to fight the cancer, and at that point she knew she didn't have to do that anymore. And she was joyous, because she could look forward to what was ahead. So we don't need to fear this. But if you think about the early church, you realize that they fully expected Jesus would come back in their lifetime. And so as churches were worshiping God and then they were experiencing people pass away, they were puzzled, like, whoa, what's going to happen with them? What, what, what do we do? And so Paul wrote this. So he says, For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. So there's a first resurrection. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with him in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we always be with the Lord. Now, there's lots of ways that people will talk about this passage, but I just want us to focus on the idea that those who have died in Christ will rise first we will be caught with them. And then I want to fast forward to Revelation. So in Revelation 20, 
we get this picture of this reign of Jesus. The story, if you read the whole chapter, it talks about who is raised here in this reference to the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who has a part in the first resurrection. Over these, the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him for a thousand years. So that thousand years is a millennium. Now, if you've ever studied theology, you know that there are different positions on this. There are some that say the church brings in the millennium, we are so successful, and we spread the gospel, and all the nations are submitted to Christ, and then Jesus comes back. That's called post-millennialism. There are others who say, no, this chapter is in one of the most symbolic books in the Bible, and so it's not a literal thousand years. It's the... They, this is an expression of other truth about Jesus reigning, and so that would be, ah, millennialism. There's no actual thousand years. The third option is premillennialism, which means Jesus comes back and sets up a kingdom in which people who have been raised, believers, rule and reign with him. The picture then is there's perfect government. Satan in this chapter is bound. He no longer can deceive the nations. And there's a rule, there's perfect, I mean, Jesus is in charge, it's pretty perfect government, right? And so we rule and reign with him. If you think about the parables of the talents where the promise is here, rule over 10 cities, this would be part of that being fulfilled. If you think about some of the promises in the Old Testament of God reigning, it's very clear that people are growing older because it talks about how they live longer, but there's still obviously death. It hasn't been done away with. So those passages would be fulfilled in this. Again, Christians disagree about this, but I think this makes sense. I would be called a premillennialist. I think that this is going to happen. Is it going to be a strange time because you've got people who can die, but you have people that don't die reigning? I, yes! It's a marvelous thing to kind of get your head around perfect government like when has the world ever had perfect government and yet this is what is pictured and then at the end of this if you read revelation 20 this afternoon you'll see that satan's release he deceives the nations and then there's final judgment and then we come to this this is the what's called the great white throne and i saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them and i saw the dead the great and the small standing before the throne and books were opened and another book was opened which is the book of life and the dead were judged from the things which are written in the books according to their deeds this is the great sorting and at this point satan and his angels are put in the lake of fire and every um, one who's not found written in the book of life is sent to the same place and then we enter into eternity. Now, believers aren't a part of this. They don't face this because it's clear in the passage they've already been processed or with Jesus. So I just wanted to lay this out for you because I want you to think about more. I want you to think beyond retirement. I want you to think about eternity. I told you months ago, life is not short. It's very very long and what we're preparing for isn't retirement it's eternity and so these are some of the things you have to process as you think through what the bible teaches 
But I want to show you these next verses because I think they are specific to the kinds of things Paul is thinking about as he was preparing and running the race and, and setting what was before him. So in 1 John chapter 3, you know, John loves to talk about God's love. He says this to us, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. We sang about that this morning. And such we are, for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We can't really even imagine what's ahead for us. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. You are going to see Jesus and you are going to be transformed. So what does our resurrected body look like and what is it like? Well, we suspect it's going to be a lot like Jesus' body when he was raised from the dead. What's that like? I don't know. I've never experienced it, but it's going to be good. And we're going to be like him. In part of this is we're going to encounter love. Like This is all about God's love for us. And John also tells us in this book, perfect love casts out what? Fear. So there won't be any fear in this encounter. It'll be amazing. So back in, in Corinthians, Paul, kind of continuing that theme about being absent from the body and present with the Lord, tells us this. He says, therefore, so in light of all of that, therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, meaning here now, living in this body, or absent, to be pleasing to him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Now, the word here is different. It's not throne. It's judgment seat, the bema seat. And that was an official place. You see some places in Acts where Paul and others are brought before the bema seat. It's not just penal justice that is... Um, meted out here. In other words, it's not just about condemning people. It's also about rewarding people. And so here, what we're seeing is we are going to face Jesus. We're going to have a conversation with Jesus about our life. This is not about whether you get condemned. What does Paul tell us? If we are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation. So this is not a, hey, you're in or you're out kind of conversation that we're going to have with Jesus. Paul talks a little bit about it in 1 Corinthians 3 where he says, Now if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work which he has built on remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved so as through fire. So this judgment seat of Christ, this, this, this conversation with God, Jesus, remember it's the one who died for you that's having this conversation with you. It's, it's not going to be harsh. Think about the master in the stories of the parables. He gave some ten talents. He gave some five. The evaluation that you're going to have is the conversation of what you've done with what God has given you. And God knows what he's given you. And it will be sweet. And it will be good. 
And it should be what motivates us. Paul says, we have as our ambition to be pleasing to him. Have you ever been to a store where the, the sign behind the, the counter says, I can only please one person a day, today's not your day? Have you seen that? You know? Well, it's easy to try to think of ourselves as pleasing people. Like we're trying to make people happy. And I'm not suggesting that you try to make people mad. But I think our goal needs to be pleasing Jesus. And what does Jesus encourage us to do? What is the sum of the commandments? It's to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So we please Jesus when we live those kinds of lives. And, and this is the reward for that, is the rewards that God gives us in terms of capabilities and responsibilities in the future. So, he ends 1 Corinthians 15, which we talked about with this famous picture of immortality. So, what we have ahead of us is a time when there is no death, when it says this, and when this perishable will put, have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? There is no more death. We live forever with God. And, um, and he concludes with this, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain. So everything you do matters for Jesus. He talked about giving a cup of water to someone. You get to live a different kind of way because you have a vision of where we're going. You get to live a different kind of way because you understand what's really important. You get to live for Jesus. That's what we're called to do. And this is what I think Paul clearly had in front of him. He said, I'm, I'm pressing forward. I, I press onward toward the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. He knew this was coming. He wrote about this, and he was motivated by it. He forgot what was behind. He accomplished all these things, and yet he wanted to move forward. And that's what I feel like you and I should all have as our heart, is we want to please Jesus. We want to be about his purposes. And we want to recognize the gifts he's given us. You aren't called to be somebody other than who God made you to be. You're not called to exercise gifts that you don't have. You're called to be who he's made you. He's saved you by his grace, and he has beautiful things for you to be a part of. Some of the things that you just heard, even about the clothing closet, there's a picture of, of God using people's gifts in ways that spread joy and, and light. And that's what you and I are called to. And it's so easy to get bogged down and to get the wrong picture, to get the wrong perspective. And Paul reminds us of that. He says, this is what I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. There is a finish line for this life, but it's not a eternal retirement home after that. Heaven is not a retirement home. It is an amazing set of activities. There is a glorious future 
ahead. Heaven and earth become one. We rule and reign with Jesus. We have this loving review with him. We get joyful capabilities and opportunities. There is an amazing community of people around the throne worshiping and celebrating and being together. There will be the absence of sin and suffering and death. No more tears, other than maybe tears of joy. And we get to be in God's presence forever. That's what we're reaching forward. Don't set your sights on anything less. It's not worth it. And so next week, what we're going to talk about is so we've forgotten what, by, what lies behind. We're reaching forward to this. We know this is coming. So what do we press on with? That's what we're going to talk about next Sunday. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you, you died so that we could have an amazing future. You have purchased with your blood people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. You have given us gifts, and you have given us community, and you are present when we are together. And so, Lord, we thank you. Lord, may we correct the places where our vision of the future, where our vision of you is wrong. And Lord, may you enable us to be like Paul, to set our sights on the right goal that we might live for you well. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.